You're listening to the Real Estate Radio Hour, the show that brings you unfiltered stories and insight from the Twin Cities real estate world with your hosts, Chris Rooney, broker at REMAX Preferred, and Andy Presky, leader of the Preferred Home Team at REMAX Advantage Plus. Hello, hello. We got a black screen. He looks good. Hello. <laughs> Andy yeah, looks I will looks take fair. you out for a little bit. <laughs> what, what, what is he? What's he, right, Mr. Blackstreet? Well, oh, there he is. Am I? Am I here now? Finally. Yes, you look like you're from. You look you like look you're like scared you're to scared. death right now, but other than that, you look pretty good. <laughs> Well, at least you can hear me, which is nice. <laughs> oh, I have no idea what's please, going on right now. Nick, please leave him on this photo. This is the best. <laughs> he looks great. Just remember, we signed your paychecks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, what, I, uh, uh, I don't know what's good. going on there. That's great. I appreciate my camera being frozen. Um, we can we can hear you hey, fine this- though. Yeah, if you want, just uh, uh, log back off and click the link, and we'll start it. Oh. I like that. Uh, what Robert Powers said deer the headlights. Totally, we got to save that. You you need to use that on some of our uh, little promotional items there, Nicholas. I will. So, what's going on in this market? Market, market, market. Still, still uh, buzzing along. We're just. Uh, Boy, I'll tell you, it's uh, it's fast, it's furious. I just I saw a report yesterday that came out that said that uh, that home prices were declining, and I would like to know where that is. Uh, a lot of those reports are reports that kind of um, happen way after the fact, and we did see a little of that stoppage kind of in, boy, I think it was, I can't remember now, maybe late October or late November, where it just slowed down for a little while, which was kind of nice. And, uh, but I'll tell you what, it's it's right back. You know, we're getting uh, listings that are coming on and we started to see some a few more uh, upper bracket listings come on. I think people are hearing about what's happening and they're jumping on. And we're gonna have one of our topics today is uh, from last week when we did uh, buyers and what buyers and buyers agents shouldn't do. We're going to turn that around and talk about what sellers and sellers agents should do. And uh, this market that's coming up, I think it's going to, it's a, it's good timing. Let's just say that to be able to uh, talk about what we're going to end up talking about. So how's our boy Andy coming along there? Uh, great. He looks well, much better. Listen to me this week. I have no idea. I, so I took the advice of you guys and I was following all my tech. So Instead, instead of clicks, you get frozen screen. <laughs> hey, you're from you're from Champlin. It happens. I'm just saying. At least we, we got you uh, smiling now, so it looks good. We you don't look have good. The, yeah. the technology you guys have, so. Yep. No. Exactly. So, all right. Well, Andy, I was just talking a little bit about the market, and um, I that I'd seen a report that said that our Prices aren't rising as fast as they were, but I'm not so sure about that. What do you think? 
I uh, I do think. Uh, sorry, I'm scrambling to try to make this work. Um, yeah, I think price is actually. I'm kind of seeing the same thing, but what I'm seeing is I'm I'm seeing a surprisingly uh, high amount of scarcity. We're we're struggling to see markets even moving with inventory at all. And and I mean, in some of our pockets, we're seeing nothing coming on. And so, what's interesting is so this week I've done about I don't know five markets for different families. One of them up in Otsego, I did a market for. There was 22 active properties within one mile, which normally is unheard of. Normally, we'll see like two or one um, in today's market. So when we're actually out there and uh, struggling to see the, um, you know, where where's the uh, inventory coming from? I, I don't know, but some of that was new construction as well. So I think there's a pretty good variety out there. Andy, would you see that in Otsego when you said that? Yeah. In that price point, was that existing homes or were there uh, new construction and to be built sprinkled in there? Half and half. Okay. I would yeah, say it's about I think, half and half. Yeah, we see a, we kind of see a fake market uh, a lot of the times where we're generating listings that really aren't there and you can't really buy them unless you want to wait. And it's almost like new construction. And those are called like to be built listings, showing people what you could get. On, on a certain lot and um, even there you are Andy you're back and it's just a it's kind of a fabricated market I did that in Lakeville I was showing some people and there was like 106 listings on in my uh, I, you know my my spread was pretty big and with the spread uh, there was 106 listings and I was able to show four of them four whether they were off market. Oh, wow. Look at that. Yeah. You know what? It's the virtual background for some reason giving me trouble. Yeah. But it was literally, there was four listings that we were able to show. Almost all of the other ones were either model homes, going to be model homes or going to be uh, built or in the process of being built. And there was, I mean, there was some existing stuff, but most of those were under inspection. So I was able to show four houses with that. Yeah, you know, I think without new construction right now, which is a whole nother, you know, <laughs> enchilada, as they'd say, it's it's just it's yeah. such a different beast right now than it used to be, um, you know, because it's some builders are building the houses as fast as they can. They're not taking orders. They're producing houses for you to buy once they're completed. Very risky business uh, proposition because all the risk is on the builder. Um, they have to have fantastic credit, you know, or they're publicly funded by a, you know, a stock, like they're publicly traded. Um, and then you get the smaller onesie twosie builders, custom, uh, let's call them um, local builders that maybe do their 12 to 24 a year. They're struggling with inventory, labor, um, you know, just getting people to show up on the jobs. And so it's been a, it's been a challenge for every segment of new construction this year. Um, and then when they get the orders put together, the build times have gone from, I've seen, you know, some of our builders used to get them done in six months, um, all the way up to, you know, 14, 18 months. I mean, it's ridiculous. And so how do you lock in interest rates? How do you make any plans when you're out that far? It's almost like you have to place the order and then act like you don't have anything going on until you're about six months out. Then you can start thinking about what's the market doing? What are interest rates doing? Because you can't lock, you can't sell, you know, it's it's kind of a interesting market for sure. Yeah, I it's I'll tell you, Andy, on that though, if builders were taking the chance and and throwing up those spec homes, they are really making out now. 
the opportunity to be able to lock into some prices and with a with a market that's kind of floating and where you're getting the lumber at uh, and, and having stuff that's somewhat available that maybe someone could little modify a little at the end and yep. they're waiting maybe four months rather than 12 months or 14 months. Yep. And, uh, but a lot of people uh, didn't do that. <laughs> it didn't uh, take that chance because of all the uncertainty that was out there. So well, all that saying, plays into it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then some of those same builders, are taking those houses that are under construction and you'll see them have a five, six, seven um, price increases throughout the build. And it simply is, they're just adjusting to what the value of it is based on replacement cost. So somebody walks in and says, Hey, we want to buy this house for seven fifty. You have to usually be able to replace it for seven fifty. I mean, exceptions being lot price or location or covenances or whatever change between different cities or developments. But ultimately at the same point in time, you have to have, something that's reflective of what the replacement cost is. And so, you know, yes, you're right. On this side of the, when things are going up, um, when you buy early and you sell later, it's worth more when it's done than when you started it. It's a great investment. Um, when the market, which we have seen do the other way, where from the time you start it to the time you finish it, um, it's here. That's where you need to make sure the consumer's on your side, the consumer's place the order. They put the financing in their name um, so that as you go through, it's already appraised. And then it doesn't really matter at the end what it's worth because it was established on the front versus, you know, the end. So. Good point. Very good point. Well, I don't know if it was good. I was trying to show the Polish flag in the background. Our, our next segment is about uh, the resilience in real estate and the, the Polish people are known for their resilience because they've been wiped off the map for a long time. Yep. Andy, you're Polish. They're, they all live in Champlain. <laughs> and, and I'm in Poland right now. So I thought it'd be a cool little segment that they've been wiped off the map so many times, but they keep coming back. They keep their culture. They're very strong people. So let's talk about being resilient in the, the real estate industry. Well, I'll tell you what, you're kind of, I think people are forced to be resilient now. You know, they're taking a, buyers, I would say buyers especially have uh, a huge issue, but I think a lot of the sellers, because a lot of the sellers have to sell their house and go buy a new one too. So they kind of take on almost a, a different piece of it. But I think from a buyer standpoint, if you're not resilient in this market, you're going to, you're going to be in for a real rough ride. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you, you've got to have grit. You got to be tough. But you know that the upside of this is, is that you're, you're get if you have to attain financing, meaning you know get a loan or whatever, you're getting some of the best rates in the history of America ever, right? Um, which is good. And if inflation keeps playing the game that's playing right now for the next couple of years, you're probably going to have some equity there, which would be nice, you know. And it's even though a lot of our projections are showing that hey, you know uh, things might cool off a little bit, I don't see it because here's the thing. The only reason why we have this much pressure on housing anyway is the lack of inventory. And guess what we still have a problem with? Lack of inventory. And then the guys that are building new are building stuff way up here that 3 4% of the market can afford. I mean, I think the biggest clog in the system is the, the baby boomers, right, that are, you know, that thinking about maybe retiring, you know, the way older than us, Chris, crowd, right? Um, and they their kids are – the kids are – what's that? Oh, you're muted. 
Um, so the kids are gone. They're looking for something that's simpler, easier. They don't have to worry about mowing the grass. Just put it behind them and go on their vacation. Go buy that sprinter van they're looking for and travel the country. Right, Rooney? Wait, did you buy a sprinter van in the last week? You're muted, bud. Oh, I got it, Andy. Sorry about that. that. I got it. The microphone with the line through it, that's the mute button. I know. I know. The problem is I always mute. I try to mute when you're talking because I get so excited and and jump in on you all the time. So I didn't want to do that. But, yes, I did. I drove. it It was fantastic. This is totally typical me with any sort of toy that I end up getting is that I got it. I, I flew into Chicago and uh, got to South Bend. That's where I picked it up. I drove back, got back at night. Drive's unbelievable. It's perfect. Everything's great. I even took a nap at a rest stop. That was kind of fun. And then um, after I got home the next day, it's in my driveway. So I put the parking brake on. I can't release the parking brake. I have two people come over. They can't release it. I, they the Mercedes people say, "Hey, you gotta you gotta have it towed in." So the tow driver, tow truck driver comes in, can't do it. Bring it all the way up to uh, Minnetonka at the dealership on a flatbed trailer. They get it. The technician cranks it just a little higher, puts it right down, and uh, it's done. So, so it's not it's not a good start on, on my end once again. But you uh, you'll have cool. to show us some pictures, my friend. Yeah. Hey, so what about resilience as an agent in this industry or, you know, as your guys' career, you've had a lot of ups and downs. How do you be resilient and and keep moving forward and stay in the industry? Gosh, I think from, I think Andy perspective would be really good on this because Andy runs a team um, and he's got every, I mean, from, I don't, I I guess I don't know really the makeup of your team, Andy, Uh, but getting agents to. Mostly humans. Um, uh, I didn't know. I I figured you're so technologically advanced that you have robots and stuff. Yeah. Well, we, we do. Um, I, uh, I always try to have, um, you know, when we look at that, you know, like the makeup of a team, I always, I love to have multiple languages spoke on the team. I love to have every different, um, you make up the agent in your head. I want one of those. And I like to have the diversity of the team. I like to have age diversity. I like to have language diversity. Um, you know, the, the idea there is really being able to make somebody comfortable when they're going through the process. And, I, and I'm telling you, just like, you know, like all of a sudden uh, you've got Nick and Nick decides to buy a house and he's over in Poland and doesn't speak Polish. And all of a sudden somebody comes along and says, Hey, I sell houses. I speak English. And you're going to want that person because you can probably understand. We say things differently. You know, maybe the dialect is, you know, backwards versus forward versus, you know, how that works. And, and so anyway, I, I like to uh, have that ability, you know, to, to make people feel comfortable um, with what they're doing. <laughs> you, you can't make this stuff up, Nick. You got two clowns here. I swear to God. By the way, how's, uh, how's uh, Poland? How was your, do you get some cool new jerseys and everything? Yeah, it's been really good. My place is um, a 10 minute walk to the city center. Uh, the weather is above 40 degrees. It's been raining at night, so practice is tough. But overall, it's it's so far I'm settled in quite well, and and I'm excited to, to what this spring is going to bring. Mm, good. Andy, have you ever got to visit Poland? 
I have not yet. No, I, okay. I have, you know, it's only after I did the 23 and me, I don't know if anybody watching this has ever done that. You think your whole life, just like that commercial says, I was Scottish and wearing the kilts and the whatever. And all of a sudden you do the DNA test, you realize, oh, I'm more German. Well, that's my, I think everybody's got a little bit of that happening. So the character of your family carries with, I think with the, the, you know, whatever your family likes to embrace. And so like, I was always told you're Polish, you're Polish. Well, I, I am, but I'm like 12%, you know what I mean? But I'm 40% German, you know what I mean? So it's like, but I still, it's Prasky. It's the, it's the, you know, anyway, it's kind of fun, but I have, I have not, I have not visited. Yeah. You know, kind of, I guess to maybe elaborate a little on your, your question with the resilience of an agent, um, it, you have to, you, you can't get tore down. <laughs> well, cause you do get tore down and you got to just keep fighting and trying to keep, cause what you're doing, you're not only, I mean, you're trying to survive yourself by trying to sell houses, but you're also trying to keep your clients engaged and not try to give up. So being resilient is as important as anything agents can do right now, because then deals become a problem as well. So all of a sudden people get into, um, you know, into a contract where the buyer feels like they've paid way too much. They overpaid for it because they got it And the, the, the excitement of the, I got it kind of turns to, Oh shit, I got it. But now did I pay too much for it? And, and so it's a constant, playing with them in their emotions to be able to get them to the closing table and know that they did the right thing. Uh, I know one thing I do immediately is turn off searches right away. Cause you know, sometimes we have them all set up on searches and all of a sudden they start questioning, Oh my gosh, look at this one. This one came on. But the thing is, is that when you look at something that came on and it says 450 and it's priced right, it's really 525, you know? So it kind of skews, it skews things. Uh, so, I don't know. I well, think well, think, yeah, think about this too, Chris. I mean, you know this, the the consumer, when when you have parameters as simple as I'm looking for something for sale with three bedrooms, two baths, and I'll take it. Doesn't matter the city, doesn't matter the location, doesn't matter how close it is to the schools or the parks. That buyer doesn't exist. I have buyers that come in and say, hey, I have this need. I have this need. I need to be close to this. I need high-speed internet. I need, you know, there's 50 things they're looking for, right? And, and God bless them for that. I think that the MLS system right now is so outdated. They should be required to put in their utilities. They should put in their high, how, how connected is the internet? You know, how, what's the speed on that stuff? What are the options available in that area? It would save a lot of us a lot of time. And see, that's what people are searching for. And the MLS tries to keep up, but they're like, eh, you know, better. So the agent that comes in and helps you find that you have 15 criteria that you're shopping for and you find 14 of the 15 and then another house comes up for sale. And I go, it always looks better on the outside. It doesn't have... It's only an eight out of 15, even though it looks good and you're starting to have buyer's remorse because you just like, you know, in, in theory, you locked yourself in on a property. You should be celebrating. And, and I agree with you, Chris. Celebrate the fact that, oh, my gosh, I got 14 of the 15 things I'm looking for, um, you know, and, and shut that search off. Close the deal. Get the deal done. Because when you're that specific, um, you need somebody like us, like you're saying, Chris, to say you're good. You, you, you found the unicorn. Do not let it go. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Cause you, you knew how hard it was to get that unicorn in the first place. And, right. and that's like what happens with inspections. And that's what I, I, I try to relay to sellers when I'm negotiating with a buyer that wants an inspection, just it's, it's for their state of mind. So they just feel like they didn't get it. But I'm like, 
I'm telling you, if you don't think there's nothing wrong with your house, do you really think them fighting for this house, paying you as much as they did, that they're going to come back and say, forget it, I don't want this house? That's just not what they're going to do. I mean, now if it's ten or 20000 more, I mean, there, there might be a problem. But we're not going to be nitpicking and, and going after the little things. And and a lot of times for the seller, it's a it's advantageous to have that inspection done because you don't want a problem after the fact. Uh, we were talking last week a little about, I said we could follow a transaction because I was selling my last uh, rental property. Yeah. And uh, just a little little update. So we did, we, we put it on, uh, ended up having almost 15 showings. Now remember, this is a fourplex, priced it at uh, $699,900. So, and I did that. I did the Andy Prasky pricing thing, okay? You saved the dollar, good idea. Good thinking. I did. I saved it. No, 900, not 999. Well, I don't I do 999. 999. Yeah. I don't do 999s. But anyways, so 699, 900. And uh, in reality, I think I should have probably been 719. That's where I would have felt good. There's one that sold down the street that ended up being 700,000. Market's changed a little. Mine's a little bigger. Blah, blah, blah. So, um, so I went on at 699. Uh, had... Gosh, I think it was 15 uh, showings, which is pretty good at that price point for a fourplex. You know, that's not a single family home that someone's looking at. And um, ended up getting four. We went on Friday, on Monday. We had four offers that came in. And I kind of, I got word that two other people were going to do an offer. They just weren't prepared yet to do it. And they were, would be able to get them to me on Tuesday. We told people we'd look at offers on a Monday, so we yeah. did. And and I think the reason I'm going through this is kind of we can't talk about this stuff with our clients. Obviously, it's me, so I can talk about it. Yeah. And, um, and and the other thing was I didn't I wasn't negotiating any of this. Um, Karen, who works with me, uh, was doing it, and I was kind of on the back end because it's really hard to do your own stuff like that. So I stayed out of it. And we had some really good offers, really competitive offers. But I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna. I think I'm gonna wait for these other two offers and just yeah. see what see what they bring. And one of the agents who, first of all, wrote a fantastic offer at the beginning, uh, eliminated inspections, contingencies, appraisal gaps, had a, plenty of money down, had a nice, very nice uh, letter, uh, understood the you know a home that was built in 1900 might not be perfect. And, uh, and they were fine with it, did a, uh, their own warranty to be able to protect themselves against that. So it was perfect. And uh, so Karn went back uh, to them people and just said, you know what? He's got a couple other people. He's going to wait. Being honest, straight up front, those, those buyers and that buyer's agents came back and said, I'm going to give you 20000 more. And we just want to get it done tonight. And I'm like, nice. done. So ended up... Um, doing really well on it. Um, got Good. a lot more than what I was uh, thinking we were going to get if I would have listed it at 719.9. And um, it, it was just, uh, it's it's always interesting. I mean, I deal Hopefully with it. Hopefully they're not watching this, all of them, and going to come a plot against you now. You know what, though? I mean, I know I could turn around and sell it for more, and yeah. I think that's a lot of sellers. Well, I know, uh, and I've been joking well. around with you a little bit here, but I mean, it's normally we don't. So those that are watching, we normally don't disclose the terms we keep everything confidential until it's closed, closed. And that's because what if something happens and then we don't want to give up any kind of, you know, positioning that you may have 
um, leverage you may have on your offers or, you know, whatever perception you, you want to, you know, portray into the deal. And, and so bottom line is we normally don't, Chris is doing something that's unorthodox because it's him. It's his deal. Yeah. So, which is kind of fun. The, yeah, the, the seller can, the seller can uh, allow that, but typically you don't. And the other reason you don't is because if I tell you what I accepted and the place fell apart, you know, that kind of ruins my, you know, Hey, I want to try to get more, more than that, mm-hmm. but it's a, it's a different market, but it was, it's very interesting. And, and we, we really cleaned it up, new carpet, we painted and, and really made it nice. We ended up uh, only having one unit that had people in it as well. So, oh boy, look at this. So. <laughs> oh, uh, that's us down at uh, R4. That's it. So there, there's the third Avenue uh, update. Thank What's you. Next? What's next, Mr. Uh, Poland? We should start One, to- two, skip a few, skip a f- 15, 37. Andrew, that, yeah. that's so true. But I'll tell you, I've never had, I mean, in, during this whole time, during my whole career, I'm on number 32, 32nd year, which is crazy. But um, I've never had so many people ask me how many offers there are. Yeah. I've never had that before. And no one asks because you, you, I mean, why you can't, well, you don't. Well, let have, me ask you a question. What's, what's the reasoning behind the question? So when you ask that question as an agent, how many offers do you have? Like, I'm going to screw you if I can, but if I have to compete, I guess I'll compete. Yeah. Or we're just not going to even get involved if there's too many other offers because we don't want to get re- you know taken. So yeah. I don't know. The, there's not really an advantageous uh, position for a listing agent to take on that because you, in, in most cases, every situation is different. Assess every situation. But generally, I'll say we are reviewing offers tomorrow night um, at 5 o'clock. You said that that's plural. You mean more than one? My client has said that we have an offer on the table reviewing tomorrow night at five o'clock. You know, do you, should you tell there's more? That's up to you guys. I mean, your seller ultimately makes that decision, um, you know, and they tell you, you, and, and in some cases, Chris, I mean, I, you know, we just took a class on this where they're like, you have to disclose. And I go, well, you have to disclose unless your client tells you not to. Right. And he's gone again. The, the most fun part about Chris is that he should be actually strapped to the actual chair um, so that we, yep, see, he went and got a cookie. Uh, I don't know. That... I think it is. I think that's funny because there is a lot of agents that are saying that they're doing something that's different, that's out there, and you know they're they're cutting edge and how they do videos and how they do all their different things. And I'll tell you, I, I mean, there might be uh, there might be cutting edge stuff, but I think it's um, I think the the most cutting edge thing that you can do is identify who your potential buyer is and and, and try to attract them because you're your target buyer is the one that's going to pay you the most amount of money for this property. And then it's how do you get that to them? So if you're one of these uh, TikToker guys or gals and you're flipping cameras around and going super fast, but you're trying to sell to a baby boomer, you might, you, you, you might not have just done yourself uh, a favor in getting that for your, 
the most price for your client because those people aren't going to uh, deal with deal with that or you know from a from a standpoint of understanding it and and drawing them in you don't you have to know who your audience is in which to be able to do that yeah i agree i, I you know i'm still i tell you what i love doing these videos on this show because i think it's interesting how you know the, the we show such a variety of agents that are out there trying to stimulate something now try to think of okay who is that audience that they're going after they, they always say, you know, some of the, I've, I've done so much training on this video stuff. And I, that's what I think makes me, you know, granted I'm a Gen Xer. So Gen Xers need to take 15 cuts of the same video before they say, okay, this one's good enough. And my hair has to be perfect. And my, my shirt ass, that's Gen X, right? Some of the younger people are like, screw it. Uh, a, a video is better than no video. And so they're doing things that are a little edgy, entertaining, as Nick would say, you know, you kind of think they're funny. So you kind of follow them now where I don't see the 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 connection is I've never said oh gosh this guy is absolutely hilarious I can't wait till he does surgery on me <laughs> no it doesn't happen I mean it's like you know what I'm saying so it's like I rank my agents based on their performance how many deals they've done how many negotiations they've had in the last year I mean I want somebody that's sharp man I want or she for me. most of the agents that are out there are female that are the best ones out there um that anyway that that's a whole nother show um that's what i was thinking with that guy he was making fun of those realtors oh i got this cutting edge things i'm on tiktok yeah that's something i think you would be hilarious at Andy, like making fun of it yeah i i uh i'd probably end up in realtor jail somehow what do they say i'd get canceled yeah but ultimately andy i think uh people work with people that they like and then they got to know that they're competent and so you you get a bond with someone and and I'm kind of one of those that I don't have to be best friends with my clients. I think a lot yeah. of agents try to do that. And it's I usually always get along with my clients though, because they're usually like me. And you attract that type of person that you would you know most likely hang around with. And so yeah. you you just automatically become friends. But I think there's some people that just like, you know, if I hated you, Andy, I'd be like, oh my gosh, Andy, you're the greatest. And oh my, ha, 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 like, 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 like everything that you've ever done on uh, Facebook and uh, and try to act like I, I, you know, care about you. And and I and I don't care. I still don't know if I trust you, Rooney boys. I'd put out some funny video and I'd it'd blow up in my face. Yeah. But it's like an attorney or a doctor. You want the best yeah. one. You know, you don't want the one that has the cutest robe or the. Uh, nicest eyeglasses, but the cutest robe and the nicest eyeglasses can be a really smart person and you get along with them. So right. I think it's all in how you play it. And me and Nick are never going to stop because we've talked about this off air a lot about what you should be doing because you'd be so good at it. You're so quick witted and fast and, but yet add value to it because you, you're not like this dummy. So, so anyways, man, I'm feeling good. G double O D. If you got negative energy, don't be around me. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Okay. Okay. I would call her Sparkles, the realtor. I love it. Did yeah. you see she was? That was. I thought that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> see. See now, actually, touch it on. Even though that was a little bit, you know, kind of quirky, that was cute. I mean, that I actually, I don't know. And it was quick. Yeah, it was quick. It shows energy. Mm -hmm. Shows like, hey, that person's gonna go to fight for me, and she's fun, and let's go. Let's see if she knows what she's talking about. And it Sparkles might get her the in the door. Yeah, it might get her in the door.
Like it? They're just dangerous as heck, but that uh, I think that was. Can you do it one more time, Nick? Nothing like I've ever seen. It's just a thing of beauty. Andy, how many times have you talked about that repurposing that room, that front uh, living room? You've been uh, talking. 326 times, Chris? Yeah. I mean, that's been for 10 years. You've yeah. been talking about that, but that's yep. exactly what it is. They created those pocket doors. Super cool uh, to be able to turn that one front room. I just had a listed in Bloomington that we did. And they had that, you know, that front room that's all blocked off and everything. They added those doors to it, totally turned it into a parlor, an office. And yep. it was fantastic. You know, it's interesting. So that kind of a room with with uh, the, the bouncing doors, or as I call them, the finger smashers, because you have to have two hands. So most people are walking on the cell phone in their briefcase. They try to shut the door. Good luck with those, number one, unless you get automated ones or something where they can shut for you. But number two, um, most of the time when I'm selling houses and they look at a room like that where they're, if you are truly working from home and you have children, the children are going to stand at that glass and be like, mom, dad, hey, right? The whole time that you're trying to, to conduct business. And so a lot of the families that I know that are building new actually will go with the solid panel doors and um, so they can shut them. And then they've got the latch and they actually latch shut so they can't be opened. Um, but, the thing is, but the thing is for resale, yeah, it's a fantastic to be able to have those glass windows because it, it gives you so many options. And, and people typically don't look at a house as functional for a while. They're looking at it and they're, they're getting excited about it. It's like a house without a lot of storage. What yeah. you got to do is you got to give them storage, but yet don't make it look like it's so overpacked and then have everything stuffed in your garage. If you don't have it in the garage and you have it, people don't think about that. They always say, oh, what? We can put extra stuff in the garage. So you have right. to kind of, kind of know what they're thinking, where your downfalls are. And that's what I think a good realtor does is they acknowledge what the heck the problem is and then you try to solve it or get them to justify it. Hey, Andy, you said it could be dangerous. Were you talking about for like tax purposes? Because I know you have to be really stingy on that, right? The whole well, the pocket doors when they're glass, um, and and when you have kids around, they shut if they're if they're you know the tracks are are properly functioning. Those doors usually have a spring in the middle, and they hit and they bounce, and they'll literally in their glass. So if they're and they're going to be tempered, I'm sure, but I mean. In, in theory, you know, you get a kid that slams a door together, they, they shut and they bounce together. So it, it, it's a little bit, I should, okay, it's, it's a finger pincher is what I'm saying, um, is maybe a better way to say it. Um, we've seen where they do the barn door on the outside of the room, though, where, you know, you can see it and you can kind of, people see, oh, there's a track and there's a limit to how hard I should push this. It, I don't know. I'm not trying, I'm, I don't care about as much as I'm acting like I do with safety, but um, yeah. it. Nick, what he's really trying to say, he's trying to show you how the Prasky boys grew up. And what happened was they probably lured Andy in there. And then both of the other, Tommy and uh, Matt, nail him right in yeah. the middle of it. That's probably what happened. You put their head in there and then, king, king. <laughs> <laughs> it 
You want me then? But easy come and easy go And it wouldn't So anytime I bleed you let me go Yeah, anytime I feel you got me No, anytime I see you let me know But the plan and see just let me go I'm on my knees when I'm begging Cause I don't wanna lose you That is cool. Love it. Love those little gadgets and to be able to show people um, those little things. That's where people remember. Remember that that's the house with the drawer, the hidden drawer. Um, I'm going to do that. I'm I'm redoing a house right now. That I like. I love that idea. Yeah. I mean, what a cool way to do it, huh? That drawer is going to be a thousand bucks, but what the heck, huh? Yeah, but you know, if you have, if you're protecting a ten thousand dollar watch or uh, whatever, you know. Or, or, you know, the other, the only thing I worry about like that to me is the, the, the thickness of it was I was thinking right immediately like weapon or whatever you'd hide in there, but yeah. Cool. Congratulations. Your loan has been approved for $500,000 at 3%. Your total monthly mortgage is 2,400 per month. That's great, but I'm actually going to accelerate my payments and divide my monthly payment by four and pay you weekly instead. Okay. That sounds like the same thing. Well, yes and no. But because I'm increasing my frequency and paying you 52 times a year, I'm actually making an extra payment for the entirety of the year. Yeah, I still can't see the difference. By making these small changes, I'm actually saving $26,000 for the lifetime of the loan. And on top of that, I'm actually paying off my mortgage in 22 years instead of 25. Oh wow, sounds like you know what you're doing. Where'd you learn all this from? I learned this from Victor. He makes real estate simple. That's why I follow him. Uh, I'm going to guess his name is Victor. <laughs> totally. I love that totally. guy. He's fantastic. I think you know, I could have maybe got it out a little quicker. He, But he's smart He's smart enough to understand. He's clever enough, I should say, to understand that he's dry. And he's finding humor in that dry humor. You know what I mean? It's like that. Hey, who's Victor? Uh, what is my payment? And you, and it's cheesy background. It, If he intended to do it that way, he's a genius. It's just so people understand what what he's talking about is that if your 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 loan is amortized over typically thirty years and uh, you're really front end loaded uh, with interest and it's always based on what your principal balance is as you go along. So, long story short, what he's doing is you're, he's paying principal off uh, quicker, which uh, eliminates the the length of your loan and you're going to save a bunch of money. But you are making an extra payment a year. The way you're talking, say, you're, out, you're out of pocket. You're ahead of the game. You're, you're, you're. St- so he's acting like it's no big deal because you have to pay it anyway. I get it, but if you don't have any money in the bank at the beginning of the month and you do on the second of the month, or what you know, what I'm saying it's like that. That is a, um, you're just paying it off quicker. You're exactly right, Chris. No. Thanks, Andy. I'm, cost of money, baby. That's, that's why you follow. That's why you follow ChrisRudy.com. Yeah, you click this and you follow me. I wish I could reach through this screen. We were gonna do we were gonna do something for you earlier, Andy. And I uh-huh. think I'm gonna do it because okay. um, it was uh, it was it was really good. Trust me, I'm an I'm an ex- extrovert. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Oh man. What's next, little? Our little uh, moderator. He fell asleep on the keyboard again. Now, where is he? Where is our moderator? 
I'm oh, setting every, I'm setting every, everything he, up I behind the scenes. Drunk. He, he I, we're doing our father like son. We're both running away and disappearing. I got, there's nobody on camera. It just studios. I'm gonna get that last blind. This the son is just following me. Yeah. Hey, we're doing our so our so sellers much. and uh, agents stop uh, doing this first. We're gonna start with the sellers. Here's the first one. Trying to ask a price you think people will. Trying to ask, yeah, you're trying to ask a price what you think people will pay, and that you can't think that way. You can't. Like I just said on mine, you know, I went six ninety nine. I thought it was seven nineteen. I thought people would pay. I, I thought for sure I would get like at least seven forty on that. But if I would have priced it at seven forty, I would have generated no interest, and I wouldn't have yep. got what I ended up getting. And I just saw, I just saw another one because I was doing a market analysis on on some lake properties, and there was this one property that they were trying to. All these other houses were selling that were updated were selling for much more on the lake. It's in an association. And with, with that, the, the agent came in and priced it up where those other people were selling. I think it was going to happen, but it was totally dated. Sat and sat. People are in this market are wondering, what the heck's wrong with it? All of a sudden, that thing sold for 225000 less than what they listed it for. And if they would have gone with a list price that was more like, oh, my gosh, look at this one. All I have to do is put in 200000 It's going to be worth a million. You know, they would have probably gotten a lot more money. So you can't, I, I can't think, begin to think that way. You know, it's 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 a psychology of the Minnesota buyers. Minnesota nice, um, but yet they, 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 um, they want to have, you know, a fair price. So they choose to run it up versus – having it overpriced and then trying to whittle it down because they don't want to do it that way. They'd rather offer you more. So they feel like you're winning too. And then they're getting, you know, it's, it's just a weird way to do it, but it's, I've, I've seen much. Um, I, well, I've done it a couple ways over the last, you know, 12 months and two of the times that I did it, the opposite of what you just talked about, Chris, um, where we listed it at the price we should list it at. Um, we failed or we struggled for a while to get those houses sold. Every other customer has gone with me on the concept of, Hey, list it at fair and then go five grand even below that. So people fight over it. And then when they fight, you win, you'll get better offers. They, they put their best foot forward, the best finance, the best inspections, the best, you know, waiver of whatever's. And you get that when you price it correctly. Now people say, well, Hey, what if nobody comes in over? And I'll say, well, then you overpriced your house. I mean, honestly, because then your pricing isn't correct. So right now, if you believe what I'm saying to you and you show the, you do a market, a true, in-depth market analysis showing exact comps, same foundation size, same houses, whatever. And you can get that number dialed into where you're within three grand, even on a big number. And, and that's where it's at, man. And then you, you trust your, you, the numbers don't lie. So if you, you've got the numbers that are there, the condition you understand compared to the other conditions, real estate agents can dial you in so tight on those numbers. It's crazy. And the other thing, Andy, is it's really not pricing 101. It's not as simple as what you're just saying. You, there's so many other things that you have to, that went into your theory before you priced it that way, because you understood what your your advantages were and what your challenges were and how you're justifying them built in with the price and then get the house properly prepared. So there's, there's so much more that goes into that. I mean, we can't hit on all of that stuff, but it's, it's crazy. Uh, and every house is different. It really is. And yeah. to think it's one on one, it's it's just not. It's not easy. All right, number there, two. This is part of it. This is the reason not properly preparing your home for the market. 
you know, if you we can we can say and price it anything we want, but if we're not gonna if we're not gonna do the work that's gonna be able to turn around and get us the money, you're you're not going to uh, be successful in this market. You're just not. You well, still you have. Think, Chris, I think okay. a lot of that is people that want to get the listings. The agents that are out there saying, "Oh, you, don't worry about it. This market's so hot. You don't have to worry about doing anything. Just yeah, leave the leave the the granola bar on the floor and let's just leave the house." And I'm telling you. Condition sets the tone for the offer because cleanliness is quality. People will pay more for quality. Um, and I'm telling you, every time, at least make sure the house is clean. Um, and, and then, you know, if you have a house that's been, let's say you got 10 kids running around or whatever, you run a date, whatever, and the house is beat up, how much does it really cost you to paint? Honestly. I mean, yeah. even if you did it yourself, paint that house, get the walls looking clean. So people aren't walking around like, oh my God, why is this wall so dirty here? Or why are the corners chipped off? Because the kids, you know, whip around the corner when it's snack time. And you know what I mean? But fix that up, tune that up. I don't know. Get the wear patterns out of the carpet with some fresh carpet. I'm with you. <laughs> I think this is another good one. Put in restrictions on when you show. And... Yeah. What people do is they put their house on the market and say, oh, you know what? That's not going to really work for me. And maybe yeah. rather 9.15, you can come at 9.30. Yeah. And then if you could only stay till 9.42, and then you can walk outside, but then don't drive by my house. I mean, you can't do that. When you're, when you're selling your house, it's yeah. not yours anymore. And I think people have to realize that, is that now you're a showroom. Now you're, you're putting it out to people that are, you're giving it to them. It's their house now. And um, I think a lot of factors go into this, Andy, from yep. a, a standpoint of, you know, the pricing and getting it done because you want to create the excitement and be able to get them sold and on their way. Now, all of a sudden, now you're not making your bed and doing the dishes every single day for three months. You don't have to do that. And the other thing is, mm -hmm. is that I always try to get my people to get out, um, at least for the weekend, the first weekend. Yep. And, or if not, just know that you're going to be living out of your car for the first two or three days. And we got to get everyone in there because the right person, if we cancel them, you might have just cost yourself five, ten, twenty thousand dollars That That's part of my strategy of getting you the most amount of money possible. I say the same exact thing. I'll say, here's the deal. Don't make you be the reason why they can't get into the house ever. Right. So you guys want to go for sale. You hired me to help you. So here's what I need from you guys. I need the house to be spick and span. And if you have a lot of kids, guess what? You might have to live at grandma's for a couple of days or the cabin or wherever. And then get out of the way, clean the house one time, walk out the door, literally dusting the door handle and you're done. And then you can relax. Let me do my job, get the house up for sale, put the market, get the demand, do the open houses, do the whatevers. And then um, we'll get you those offers. And then, and then uh, if you're trying to put kids to bed, like you're talking about, this is the biggest struggle we have with families. Well, the baby goes to bed at 7.30 or 8 o'clock, and then, you know, we have a showing that's scheduled at 8, so they cancel the showing. Well, that person might have just flown into town that day. Um, they have a day and a half to get all their houses picked because they're transferring into town, and this is when they want to buy. They're a buyer, and now because baby has to go to bed, which is totally – both are very important. Don't put, your, don't put yourself in front of the – like you said, Chris, once you commit to selling, get yourself and your, your challenges out of the way so the consumer – let them do a showing at 11 o'clock at night if they want to, for God's sakes. If they're qualified and they fly in and they don't land until 10 o'clock, who really cares if they show house at 11? As long as it's, you know, you're not there, obviously. Now, if you're not planning on really selling and you're kind of just sitting there like, well, if it sells, it sells. Who cares? Then then those people don't obviously inconvenience themselves. But 
Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Okay. From an agent standpoint, we're going to talk to listing agents. Um, uh, telling sellers, all you have to do is put it on the market and it's going to sell. I think nowadays listing agents are trying anything they can to be able to get a listing, to be able to put it onto the market and don't really think about what's best for the seller. You have to just, you can't tell them, just put it on the market. We're not going to have a problem. You just can't. I mean, uh, unless you also put with that, that you're not going to maximize your return on this house. If you tell them that, then that's up to the seller. And that's their choice. But if you're just telling them, you know what, just let's just put it on the market. Don't, don't worry about that. The carpet's fine. Don't worry about your cat and your dog and, you know, the, the floors that are horrible and uh, all the repairs that you have to do. It'll be fine. And then it won't because now all of a sudden that house doesn't sell and you're going to get kicked out from a listed agent perspective right. and it's only going to hurt the seller. Yeah. And this is that time of year too, where houses kind of have their own aromas because the windows aren't open as much. So, you know, last night's dinner is still lingering in the house the next day or the, the cat odor or the, the dog that missed the uh, outdoor toilet and went inside on your carpet. Um, those kind of challenges with houses right now in this time of the year, um, uh, as an agent, you should be honest with your people, um, sit down and actually tell them, say, Hey, this is something that I noticed the second I walked in, it hit yeah. me right in the nose when I walked in the door and they may not like you for it. But I said, for as much as you're frustrated with me right now, appreciate what I'm offering you or what I'm telling you. I'm giving you sound advice. That's only going to help you. Right. It's much better hearing it from you than a potential buyer. I'll tell you that. Well, I mean, people won't not hire you. I mean, I think the biggest thing that we face is like, agents that go out there and lie to their clients in the sense of tell them everything that they want to hear. Well, here's the problem with that. Sometimes that that's not the best advice. Most of the time it's not. You want to be honest, tell them what, you know, like when you walk in the house, pretend you're doing a showing with another client. And that's the way I'll walk through the house with these people. I'll say, listen, if I was showing you this house right now, what would you think of the condition of this bedroom or kitchen? Or, well, I'd have fresh flowers. I'd have this. And I go, I agree. And I go, what would you like to see here? And they go, well, this, this bedroom's super cluttered. I go, I agree with you. You know, so let, how do we rearrange the furniture or eliminate furniture? Um, I've been to the point now too, Chris, where honestly, um, I know this, we go back and forth on this stuff, but some houses honestly sell better vacant. I know that sounds horrible to say, but get out, move out, go buy the new house, get everything out of there. Let's clean everything spick and span so somebody can come in. It gives the illusion of quick possession, um, ready to go. Like just here's the keys, turn in, ready to move. Um, there's a lot of things that go with vacancy now that in the old days, we never, oh my God, it was taboo to sell a house without, you know, furniture, but anyway, and then some houses need furniture. I get it. But I think a lot of agents are, are not confident enough to, to recommend to move all the furniture out. Mm -hmm. And that's what you have to do. You have to do what's best for you. That's where you find someone that's, uh, knows what the heck they're doing. have been through it before. Mm -hmm. Uh, number two, listing agents, be understanding of agents representing buyers. You got to understand their position and why they're so desperate because I do, I, I, I do a lot of stuff with listings and as you do, Andy, and we hear on the other end, you know, they're trying everything they possibly can. They're calling you, they're emailing you, they're trying to get a hold of you. And you just, from a listing agent perspective, you just got to know that the, the shoe is always goes on the other foot a lot of times as well. And that you just got to understand what these people are going through and, and treat them with respect. And, you know, because you could be on the other side of this transaction at that time. And the other thing is it, it doesn't help your seller and trying to be a jerk right. and saying, you know what, Hey, offers in by this time and don't call me. And, 
and you better fill out this sheet and you better do this and do that. And I mean, what? What are you listening to my voicemail? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But no, seriously. I mean, it does get, I mean, and and we do deal with a lot of things. I mean, if you, if you're dealing in the under $400,000 market, you're sometimes dealing with 20 to 50 offers. And it's right. a and it's a lot of work to to rifle through there. But Chris, I, and I understand questions. all that, and I really do. And I, I I get to the point of where I empathize to a degree, and then you have representation on another, and then you also have the situation where you're like, I'm dealing with an idiot. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of real estate agents that are straight up. They're not reading the they're not reading the agent remarks. They're not looking at the supplements that are already attached. They're calling and saying, "Can you email me the?" And I said, "How'd you book the showing?" Well, off the MLS. I go, "Okay." Did you look at the supplements where all of that stuff is located? It's not there. I go, I know it's there because the other four offers I have have already submitted it without emailing it to them or the instructions like, hey, here's here's how you get into the house. And, and here's the thing. I do, Chris, I do actually empathize and, and work with those other agents. But there does come a point in time where you as a professional have to learn to read, have to learn to research, have to learn to spend five seconds instead of running by the seat of your pants, stop. And actually, okay, this is an interested, you know, a property my client's interested in. Look at the supplements, read the agent remarks, and it's going to guide you to how to show the house. I, I can't. Maybe while you're showing the house, you pull it up on your phone and you're whipping through the um, the whatever form with them or the documents or the disclosures. You're like, hey, check this out, guys. Hey, check this out, guys. You look like a professional versus the guy that's like, I don't know what they do or I don't know what that is. And I totally agree because when you do have people like that, you just it just ruins it for everyone else. So I don't I, I totally I think we're totally on the same page. We're we're empathizing, but uh, you have to know what the heck you're doing as well. Right. And then uh, forgetting that the market changes and your behavior will be remembered is a very interesting thing for I think listing agents to uh, keep in mind. And so a lot of people are going in and. Rather than proving their worth, they're proving that they can do it for the least amount of money over everyone else. And they're trying to pay buyer's agents a lot less as well. And I think you have to remember that uh, the market does change. And, uh, you know, your longevity in your career uh, is also uh, could change as well. So I think it's really important that uh, you you keep the integrity um, going in the real estate industry. And uh, you do what you got to do, but if you want to, if you want to take the hit, you just don't make it uh, reflect on all your uh, other people that are out there. I uh, I just look back to I remember Crystal's REO days, and uh, we had those where the agents were, I mean they were they had a, a crazy job, you know, listing these REO properties, and and now now I kind of giggle when I think they're you know hey they're probably driving bus or running a warehouse right now because they they had a lack of human skills. And they, they were just like, you know, uh, cranking out the projects and being rude to everybody and not showing up at closings and just, you know, I'm, a, I'm an REO agent and I'm a, I sold 300 houses last year. And, and then, like I said, now they're driving bus. Um, part of it is, yeah, anyway, now there's nothing wrong with driving bus, but it's just, they're not in the industry anymore because they can't make it. Put the yes, human sir. Back into it. That's exactly what that means. You gotta, you gotta remember that. And, uh, you know, there's there's a reason you last a while in this industry, and it's you got to do the right thing, and not only do the you just got be be a good person. It's, it's not it's just not that hard. Yeah. Are you going to be uh, doing the next show, Chris, from the uh, Sprinter? You know, I'm going to I'm doing I'm actually doing a walkthrough. I don't even know nothing. I don't know how to work anything yet, of course, and so I'm doing some uh, Zoom meeting with them. Uh, 
And so they're going to show me all around. So hopefully I'm going to. I know it has internet in there. I don't know how to use it. So we'll see. Hey, we got a big question here from a loyal listener, Mike Ludwig. We just bought a condo in Arizona. We signed and closed last Tuesday, but it didn't fund, and we couldn't move in until Thursday, which is the norm down here. Do you guys think it's a good thing or a bad thing to not fund at the same time as the signing slash closing? When is the property legally the buyer's responsibility to have insurance on the home the day you sign or the day it funds? Funds. That's a great, that's a, uh, a great thing. I, I'll tell you one thing. I would have my insurance in place no matter what. Um, I would have it when I signed just to absolutely make sure. But, I'm sure, sure that's yeah. but I think that's interesting. I think you got to tell Mike, you got to have the money so then they'll fund it for you. So if you don't pay well, them, Mike, yeah. you know, that's, that's a problem. They do not take monopoly money, Michael. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't, you can't trade them cheesecake and, uh, Buffalo wings. Well, you could to me, and I you would. You guys do take bitcoins. We uh, we. I would do, but Ludwig, he, the guy, yeah. the guy moved out of here, and he was my greatest. He'd always find these little butcher shops and bring me these, uh, beef sticks that would challenge my the hotness meter every wow. time. And well, uh, now, now, I, now I don't get them. Now I got to go to Arizona to get them. Yeah, he can send you some uh, from Arizona, but the yeah. different states do different things, and so down. In Arizona, I believe it's kind of run by attorneys, and the attorneys don't want to waste their time doing a title search until they actually have all the commitments on paper and loan commitments, everything ready to go or whatever. So once everything's there, and they're like, okay, okay, so you're serious? Now they do it. Once it clears, then they actually fund it, and then once you fund it, you own it. Until you pay for it, you don't own it. What? I can't hear you, Nick. Sorry, bud. I said I just wanted to see your face, Andy. I left you on the on the still. We have uh, one more thing, and then we'll we'll head out. Chris had to get to a meeting. Yeah. Um, so Zillow versus Redfin valuations, twenty percent discrepancy between them. Why? Well, you know that's it's. It, I'm, I appreciate you bringing that up because what what all the um, think about this. So somewhere somebody designs a website that says, "Hey, I want to help people." get kind of a clue as to what houses are worth or if they're thinking of selling what houses are worth because people find value in sold prices. Um, and so what happens is they're like, how do we do this? And so they, they, they go out there and they capture the information um, from the counties um, from once they're sold, they take the sold data and they try to record that. Now, the only difference is, is that the reason why there's discrepancies is because for an example, let's say that on the same street, one side, faces a freeway and the other side is on the lake and so you know or whatever so there's like a side street so you know zillow doesn't have the at least currently without human interaction or some of these other ones the technology to say okay you know it it, it has this or this now that's changing nick the so there's technology out there right now that they're using there's um these matterport uh style um companies that do a matterport tour and now they're actually designing the software to be intelligent enough to recognize the views out the windows as a water view or as a freeway or as a power line or as whatever. And so that's why, um, and, and the, the crazy, here's the crazy part about that too, Nick, it goes beyond that. It's not just the views. It actually is smart enough. This, this Matterport, um, uh, the, I listened to a guy talk about this about four years ago and out in uh, San Francisco at a real estate convention. And he said, 
The reason why we like Matterport is people like the virtual tour at the Matterport, but what they don't recognize is that our software is reading the size of the windows. It's actually looking at the profile of the window, guessing the age, guessing the manufacturer, so then they can take that data and sell it and say, hey, odds are these people are gonna need windows in this house in a few years. Or based on the calculations of the floor plan, this is how many square feet of carpet they'd have. So now you could have a carpet person call you and say, hey, we'll recarpet your whole house for 3,200 bucks. And you're like, how do you know how big my house is? Matterport told us. You know, so some of that technology is scary. Some of it's good. And then of course, you know, good old Uncle Sam loves it. You know why? Ooh, we get to know everything about your house now. So we know the true value so we can tax the crap out of you. So um, <laughs> no offense to anybody in the tax business, but that's the way most of us look at it. And, and you know, so bottom line is, is that the more information you give them, the more information they have that can either help you or hurt you. Um, from an outsider's perspective, um, more information is good. But that's that's where you see the variables, Nick. I mean, really. So um, and then now you're seeing a ton of variables with the way offers come in. I come offers with legs where here's the market kind of chugging along and then somebody throws 50,000 over. Well, it, the whole mar the whole neighborhood does about 50,000. This is where you're going to start seeing appraisals have discrepancies where it listed for, you know, 400, it sold for 480. Did it was it really worth 480? Chris Rooney would argue, yes, it is because that's what the market's willing to pay. That dictates market price, right? So the the seller or the the buyer would pay that. On the other hand, the banks are like, okay, we get it. Somebody's crazy enough to pay that, but to be safe, we really aren't going to give them that full appraisal. Um, we're going to come thirty thousand under, just so that the market is staying at a three to four or five percent appraisal, you know, appraisable rate. Did I put you to sleep? Amazing, awesome! Another great episode. No, <laughs> another great episode. Make sure to like, let us write us review on Facebook or iTunes, and then we post three clips weekly on Facebook, short and digestible. Have a great day, Andy. See you guys. Thanks for joining us this week on the Real Estate Radio Hour. Don't forget to visit our website, realestateradiohour.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast listening app. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or sharing us with a friend. Until next time, stay awesome, Twin Cities.